As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. want to become a better racer? Are you interested in expanding your knowledge of our sport? If so, thisisbracketracing.com is the place for you. Thisisbracketracing.com houses well over 300 training resources on literally every topic that you could imagine as it pertains to sportsman drag racing. We have trainings dedicated toward improving reaction time, toward uh, sharpening your skills at the finish line, toward increasing your mental game, uh, tech and torque converter, carburetors, you name it, and much, much more. Best of all, on your first visit to thisisbracketracing.com, we award you with one training of your choice for free. Again, that's the best part. It is your choice. So whatever it is that you are interested in and want to focus on, we have a training for you. It's yours for free. To check it out, just go to thisisbracketracing.com and click the Start Here button on the homepage. As we get closer to racing this season, you'll need to start thinking about which of your parts could use a little tune-up or perhaps a replacement. Keep BTE in mind. That's Bill Taylor Enterprises. For all your high-performance transmission needs, torque converters, parts, complete transmissions, BTE does it all. Check them out at BTE Racing or find them on Facebook. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. 
Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Cole Castile and Johnny Bracket Racer. Today's show is a treat. Uh, I am joined for the first time on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, which seems bizarre. We've been doing this show for over four years. How have we never had Scotty Richardson on the show? This is his first appearance. Like if we went through the the Mount Rushmore of uh, of Sportsman Drag Racing, like we've we've had Gary Williams on, we've had Peter Biondo on, we've had Dan Fletcher on. Like go down the list. We never had Scotty on, and uh, had his brother once, uh, but this was our first time catching up with Scotty Richardson. We talked about um, his recent Spring Fling Million victory at Bristol in the fall of 2020 and how both from the outside and then you can hear it in Scotty's words himself, how that win just felt different for him. Like maybe the, the a win that he appreciated perhaps even more than all of the years that he just dominated our sport, uh, perhaps due to in his own words you know having a a, a lackluster couple of years leading up to that and and this feeling almost um internal to to scotty you know that that he had slipped a little bit and then being able to to get back atop the mountain and the feeling associated with that basically just appreciating how hard it is to get to that point and and soaking it in maybe you know for the first time in his career if not the first time in, in years and years and years and how that just catalyzed this epic uh, season-ending run where in that four-week span where we had three million dollar races scotty was at the split in every single one of them which i had said on the show like is is perhaps more even a, a monumental achievement than winning uh, the spring fling million which he did so uh, had fun there uh, a lot of discussion there we we did go back in time a little bit and uh, and rehashed some of the 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 early days so to speak with uh, with with Edmund and uh, his relationship with Edmund and um, just a lot of Scotty's greatest memories from various points within his career. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I hope that uh, I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. We'll follow that up on this episode with a, a brief rundown uh, and, and kind of announcement regarding the 2021 version of the ThisIsBracketRacing.com driver series. You longtime listeners will be familiar with the voice of Ashley Thompson. Ashley joins me for that segment at the end of the show as we kind of lay out this immense um, series for 2021 that we've now expanded to 20 plus racetracks. Uh, we're guaranteeing $10,000 to the national champion in both the top bulb and the bottom bulb category. And the coolest part about that is that the racers that win those prizes will do so without having to leave the friendly confines of their home track. So stick around to the end for more details on that. Without further ado, Scotty Richardson, but first, PJ North. Honored to be joined today by a man that needs no introduction. Uh, arguably the the greatest, most dominant sportsman drag racer in the history of sportsman drag racing. I can't believe this is your first time on the show, but uh, welcome to the Dr- sportsman drag racing podcast, Scotty Richardson. I appreciate it. Uh, been wanting to do one of these with you. Uh, just that never 
lined up, but uh, I appreciate you uh, having me on here. Dude, the, the honor is all ours. Um, I don't know where to start. I, I, I guess the, the obvious jumping off point is to go back to your Spring Fling Million win at Bristol last fall. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on the, on the day, maybe the weekend in total. I'll just say this from an outside perspective. I feel like, I mean, I, I wasn't, I, I guess it's not fair to say that I've been there since the beginning, Scotty. Like, I, we moved to Texas in 1990. I started following your career at that point. I feel like I've gotten a front row seat to the vast majority of your career at this point, right? And I yeah. don't. I think what stood out to me at Bristol is I don't ever remember seeing the so much joy in your eyes on your face after a, a win as that one. It felt like that really meant something to you. Uh, it did. Uh, you know, um, I've had some some good years racing uh, when I was younger, and and it, it went on for quite a while. And the last <clears throat> the last handful of years I, I tried the racetrack side of it as far as running a racetrack as far as leasing a track and um, Hatton actually had all the time in the world to do to put the time in to, to get better with uh, today's racers and uh, the uh, equipment and uh, <clears throat> ever since I got with my gal uh, Savannah which uh, it's been 12 years, and uh, I keep telling her that if I ever win the original million, that 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 night would be my last run down the racetrack. That's on my list that I really want to do. Um, <clears throat> you know, to be somebody that's done pretty good in the past, and uh, it's humbling to to be overlooked. And to get to the point in your career that you're not at the top of your game, whether it's physically, age, uh, whatever it is, the importance of priorities, whatever anybody says, uh, it's it's hard to take sometimes. I'm not at that point yet where I'm going to give in. So <clears throat> that's kind of why when I said what I said, I took a couple weeks off because uh, I was just pulling into the lanes being a normal person. And and for being 30 years of doing pretty decent, it's kind of hard to take. And uh, I took two weeks off and kind of rededicated myself to racing. And uh, it was a pre pretty good end to the year. That, uh, uh, and I look forward to the handful of times that I'm going to race this next year because I obviously took, took over Edgewater as a race director. So... My racing career is on the back burner, but I'm I'm still going to go to the big races four or five times a year, and uh, I'm dedicated. I, I'll have no excuse not to do any good. No, what you said there, it, it resonates for me, and obviously everybody's situation is a little bit different, and I, I certainly I don't feel like I ever got to the level that you did or sustained it for as long, but... I feel like in my own career, like I, I reached that point where it was kind of the tip of the sword. Like I, I almost explored how good I could be, right? And once you know where that is, when you do back off a little bit or priorities change, like to the outside, it may not look like there's much different. But in your, in, at least in my own mind, I know that there's like five percent there that I'm not tapping into, and it bothers the heck out of me. Like, oh, oh yeah, well, 
You know, I, I always say when I pull in, back when I was younger, uh, the B&M days or whatever, I'd go to a race and I thought they had three days. And deep down in my, my heart, I thought there really was only two for everybody because I was going to get one. And I felt sorry for everybody when you pull into the staging lanes because that's who you were fixing to run. And the last couple of years, I kind of look in the staging lanes and say, which one of these guys is going to beat me? And and I, I kind of took for granted what I was missing. And um, today it's so expensive. Uh, I just made up my mind I was either going to take some real long time off and quit or whatever you do. I don't even know how you even say that, but – but I just – I was going to a race in uh, Galat, and I just uh, – I decided to stay local at London Dragway for two weeks. And um, I didn't win a race. I runnered up one. And uh, – but when I left London on Sunday after doing the two weeks, it was the first time in probably five years that I said to myself, for the first time in a long time, I'm ready to race. And even though we haven't raced over the winter, I mean, I feel like I feel I'm still at the same spot. And um, you know, I feel I feel competitive again. I feel like pulling into the lanes. Even if I was going to run any of the big guys, I feel like they know that they're fixing to get into a battle. No question. It's funny you talk about that mindset. You you reference the B and M days, and and I think there's a there's a a percentage of racers that that have a similar mindset. There are a few that actually bear to fruition. Like it felt like to everyone else that there were two days to maybe get in on it <laughs> at, at that point in time, without question. What is it, Scotty, about Bristol? Like you, I obviously. Yeah, I won't even put words into your mouth. It, it feels like the Springfling Million in such a long list of accomplishments may be the, the best single race win. But I think you had even mentioned it in an interview there that perhaps your top four, at least purse wins, all came at Bristol. It's that. It's uh, George Howard put on a hundred grander probably, I don't even know, the year, a decade-ish ago. And the, two, yep. the first two World Footbreak Challenges. It was ele- I think it was 11 years ago. Actually, I, I don't keep track very good. But I can still remember the obviously the two biggest two of the biggest races was uh, Jared Pennington's uh, footbreak race where you and I actually run in the final I had probably one of the weirdest experiences I've ever seen that we have me and you looking at each other at four cars and the guys decided they didn't want to run each other and they picked you and I and I'll never forget it because I felt like that's the first time somebody had said that. But honestly, the four biggest races was the 250 Granders at Bristol foot breaking. And then me and my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time. So it had to be, it could have been 13 years ago. I bought Randall Blinson's 30 foot trailer golf cart dragster. And I went and picked it up. And on the way home, they had a hundred grander at Bristol, and we rode in the gate. And it was the first time I didn't double enter. I single entered, and didn't drive anybody else's stuff. And my wife, at the, my wife, 
she we were dating and she didn't understand that I was pretty decent. And hold on, I'm on the phone. I'm on the phone. Stop. And uh, the funniest thing was we on the way home we stopped and I had a couple of guys say, You want to drive another car? And I said, No, I'm just gonna drive this one because we just started dating, so pretty much we were excited to be around each other a lot. So we kind of took it as a vacation and I'll never forget because I got down to 10 cars and I looked at her and Randall obviously had a really great car that I purchased. And I said, man, they're going to let me win this. And uh, I won that. But I, but I can honestly tell you, I, I won a few races. Bristol was probably <clears> – <throat> It, it, it was as much as I've won anywhere, but as a as a racer, it was probably the most the, the 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 most excited I've ever been. Just because you get to the point where you can't, you feel like you can't do it anymore, and uh, you know, I, I I've had those times where I feel like that I've <clears throat> I'm I've run the the cups runneth over, and I. You know, and and uh, I just that was one that that uh, my wife made a joke said, I guess that's your last run down the racetrack, and I looked for every excuse to tell her that it wasn't the original million. So I got some more left in me, but but uh, honestly, it was it. I had my brother there. If she would have been there, and the kids would have been better. But it was actually, you know, him and I, we we've done a lot together. And we're not one of the top ten anymore when you go to the racetrack. And it's not it's not anything other than we, we don't race as much. We're heck I'm fifty. He's uh I think he's fifty seven. So we're not we're not obviously gonna be as good as we was at thirty the days you're numbered, but um but I think uh I think it was just a turning point. I had to get recommitted. And uh, uh, no matter how smart you are, how, how good your stuff is, you've got to be dedicated to uh, to put in an effort to be good at anything, much less racing. So, I guess I'll, uh, I'll take a little bit of uh, personal satisfaction in knowing that I'm not alone whenever I, I doubt myself. Like if, if, if Scotty Richardson has ever pulled in the lanes thinking, yeah, maybe today's not the day, like that makes me feel better about some of the self-doubt it should for everyone. Um, but yeah, no, I, I get where you're coming from there. What is it, do you have any explanation as to, you know, in your, over the course of your storied career, why, you know, the, the four biggest, at least monetary wins come at one facility? What is it about Bristol? I don't know. I, I tell you, it's it, it's as probably nice a facility as there is. It's uh, you can take a guy that's got a lot of money, a guy that's got, don't have any money, and they feel at home. Showers, uh, it's and you can <clears throat> I don't know you can kind of get away with the parking where we were parked. We were in we we're at the round track pretty much, so you can kind of separate it. Um, Back in the days, I used to always say to B&M, I was mentally prepared because um, you really never started the race until third round. And it's similar to the same way at these races, but, you know, the, the, the re-entry, uh, it's taken me a long time to get 
used to re-entry because uh, B&M, when you have buybacks to me, you mentally, you win the first round and you kind of take a break and say, well, if I lose the second round, I can buy back go to the third round. This deal's a little different. You get penalized for winning because you got to sit seven hours before second round. So I almost think when you're running two entries, if you lose one, it's not a bad thing to kind of keep things going. But uh, I don't know. It's just um, Bristol is just one of those racetracks. The tree's perfect where it's at. Finish line's marked real good. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's a deal to where I think when you when I roll in, I've had success there. So I kind of I'm confident when I roll in, no matter what, it's like uh, actually almost like going to um, – uh, I guess it would be like almost going to the Edgewater where I took the track over. I never, I won a super gas race way back in the day, but I never had success. So you, you kind of feel like you're up against the corner before you even start. But, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I've rededicated myself to, to the, the racing part of it. And uh, I'm going to change converter when I need to where, if it moved a little bit, I let it go just because I felt like I was better. But uh, now I'm getting everything I can out of every, every, every possibility that I can get, make it more consistent. I do, and I actually practice a little. I used to not practice very much. Now I've got to. Look, I'm looking at you now with bifocals on. I have to carry bifocals on where I can read my time ticket. <laughs> I've uh, I've given you a lot of credit here recently on the show from a from a business standpoint, financial standpoint, and just the way that you're approaching racing. Uh, the question was, you know, is is the opportunity there for anyone to to truly you know turn a profit or maybe even make a living within racing? And I said, you know, it's it's hard to sustain anything, but I feel like the way, and I, I used you as an example, Nick Hastings would be another example, the way that you're going about it with, obviously, no offense, but like not, you don't have a $100,000 race car, right? Like you've got affordable no, equipment no. that you can go out and be competitive in. Now, obviously, it helps that you're Scotty Richardson, right, and capable of winning in, in cars that maybe others... Uh, wouldn't have success in but your stuff's good and i guess the point of what i'm making is you don't have to spend a life savings to you know depending on life savings obviously but you don't have to spend an arm and a leg necessarily to have a car that is competitive specifically now with door cars being separated like i'm just interested to hear your thought on the the business model of it well the the deal what i look at is Uh, my my main announcer, David Rice, would call them all the pipe racks that are half of the – normally when you go to the racetrack, it's it's almost two to one, uh, three to one, whatever, two to one, it would be dragsters. Now it's pretty much even. And with some of the race tra- racers or with the races, I feel like you can take a door car and – you don't really have to run a dragster until the semis are the final most of the time. Like at a, at some races, you run uh, dead in the final. The only way you run a dragster is if you're in the final. So to me, you know, I, I look at it that I can take uh, 
I can take a loose converter, big tire, door car. Uh, I think now I thought for a long time 630s was the right number. Now I'm thinking high fives, 580, or a 490 door car is the right number for me because everybody's running 630. You take, like I always use the guys, uh, I don't know, I, I use Max, uh, Matt Dattis, perfect example. Real good racer, uh, Gage Burks, to me, is one of the the really good racers. They give him credit, but I don't think they give him as much credit as as he should get. Uh, I was I watch him a lot. First time in a long time this past weekend, he got the final and didn't win, but it looked like the car broke. So uh, he's one of those young guns like I was or you was and raced every weekend. And my deal is on the door car side. You, uh, you, you just get it to where you, to me, everybody's going 470. The dragster has gotten so expensive and so out of line. A guy like me can't afford it because I'm at the backside of my career. And I do look at it. To, I still only go to the races to make money. I don't go to the races to have a good time. Uh, uh, to me, if you're making money, you're having a good time. And that's probably not the way to look at it. But doing it for 40 years i can't change the way i feel about it if if, if i'm gonna go like you go to a million dollar race last last year the last five weeks i spent thirty thousand in entry so i mean <laughs> i you know like my wife says i can't believe it's old and not doing good why would you even go racing again and the funniest thing is when i left i said honey look at it on the bright side we have three race cards right now. So if I have a bad five weeks, we're going to have two. I'll just get rid of one real quick, pay for the rest of the stuff that we spent. But but all in all, I run a door car because you can make a $8,500 car pretty consistent with little details. And you can be competitive on the door car side with $8,500. Uh, to me, that same car, if you're racing dragsters every round, it's not as because they're coming 450, 150 miles an hour. If the car moves a little, you uh, you have a little more difficult doing it on the dragster side with a slow door car. Yeah, no question. I don't know about it. Yeah, I mean, did I answer that even halfway decent? <laughs> I think so. I think so. I mean, to your point, what it's been—it's been a while now. But let's go back 15 years before dragsters and door cars were separated. I mean, we all felt like we had to have a dragster to be competitive. Um, oh yeah. And, and separate them now, like it—it it, it gave it brought obviously brought a lot of door cars back to the racetrack. But at the same time, I think it gives a an affordable option, and you're kind of uh, um, championing championing that movement to like look we don't this doesn't have to be a, a make or break thing like you can win going six o's five nineties uh and you can win without you know the the best appearing car at the track necessarily like you've got good stuff and a good driver it's kind of back to what bracket racing was meant to be initially oh yeah well it's kind of funny um <clears throat> going back to the kennedale days perfect example is obviously jeff heffler the hefflers the Jimmy Pauls and the Bruce Hodges and the guys that we raced with when we were young, I got into racing when I was in the, when I was low 13, 14 and I was a little punk kid with a big Afro. And, um, 
it was kind of funny. My dad, I didn't listen to too much to what he said, but he did always say, son, that uh, it doesn't matter what your car looks like. At the end of the day, if you're winning the trophy and the money, they're all paying attention to that car, the chrome, and all the ones that are already loaded up. They ain't looking to see what that car looks like or what's, what it's made of. They're always watching the winner. And I've always kind of took that approach um, that <clears throat> when I'm on my game, I don't pay attention to who's watching, what's going on. And, uh, you know, we was talking. I'll, I'll answer one thing. The We was talking about certain things just a second ago. And I think – Actually, when I turned the corner, we we were raised, you and I, we were raised in the times when the cars wasn't good. And we didn't let the car dictate if we won or lost. And, and in reality, uh, Bristol was the first time in about 10 years that I actually said to myself, that I'm not losing because of my shoe polish. I was going to lose because I was going to race it the way I was racing back in 1985. And I'll never forget when I was running Nick, his car is obviously as good as any. He's capable of being, he's as good. He's one of the top tens every time we go to the racetrack. But it was funny, the guys that was with me at the slowest I was, dialed the whole night was 601 and I was going 599 and six flat and and when I come back I'd already had 602 on my Nova and the one boy said I couldn't believe what you're dialing 602 I said yeah I said for the first time in a long time I'm gonna lose or win on my own I'm not gonna let this car dictate what happens and I and I tell you the top three guys to five guys in the world, that's how they think. They're not going to lose. I mean, there's runs where Gage beat Johnny Ezell in the final of that one race that was $500,000. Gage deserved it. But you take one of the best drivers I've ever seen, and he he dialed down to where he couldn't go, but dead on, one above, wide open and had the best light lost because he dialed himself out of the race. And that's the advantage of a slow door car going up against a dragster to me because it makes them dragsters do things that they're not accustomed to. And I don't, I don't really like giving a lot of credit to a lot of racers. But Johnny Ezell, he is one of those I've never seen anybody drive like him. And be good. I mean, he's as country bumpkin as he come. But he is one of those that <clears throat> that he happy-go-lucky. He's liked by a lot, too. That's what's funny. Back in our days, if you won a lot, you didn't get liked by a lot of people, really. And uh, I, I use him and I use Gage a lot to, to kind of dictate where I want to be. I think I can drive – they can do it eight out of ten times. I can do it six out of ten times. And uh, back when you and I was younger, we could do it nine out of ten times. But uh, 
I just, uh, I, 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 my, my rest of my life, I'm going to win and lose on my own. I'm not going to let the car dictate if I'm going to win or lose. So, uh, I was one of the questions I had for you was what of the the next generation racers really impress you, and those are two key names. And to your point, Scotty, I, I actually remember you saying something along those lines to me in the winter circle at Bristol, like this is i just made up my mind like i got to race the way that i know how to race and you know alluding to to holding some against nick in the final even um yeah i mean obviously it's it works out and and it's easy i think to get caught up in the we say it all the time the packages are so tight these days the cars are so good we need to depend more on the race car but there is something to like you know how to do this and you've and you have uh executed at such a high level for so long like there's a there's an element to kind of getting back to your comfort zone and trusting yourself right oh yeah it, it's you know when you have made a all-out run in 30 years it's hard to start making yourself make a run and 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 it's funny i got to the point <clears throat> i can still remember um where you'd make a run and go past the 330 and drag the brake a little bit and it looked like you're going dead on like I did in the semis at that same race, drag the brake a little bit and go 601 on a 601, and it looks like I'm dialed. But, but you, know, um, you know as well as I do, there's luck is when we were racing back in our day, luck was 25%. Now it's 75%. You got to pull in the lanes. But – but I always say the good ones are always going to win more than the normal. That's just the way it is. They're double-entered most of the time. And I, I, I listen to Alan Glad a lot about talking about double entries, having advantage and stuff like that. But to be honest with you, if you go back to the West Palm days when we could only win, run one car per entry, the same guy still won the most races and stuff like that. So um, <clears throat> I don't know. I just – I don't know where – I don't know how they can get any better than what they are now. I, I think this this uh, LED stuff has made some guys better. Uh, I mean, I'd almost wish somehow they would go back to foot braking and uh, incandescent bulbs. But, uh, you know, it's 2021. We all got to move forward. Uh, I'm just one of those guys that I'm not going down without a fight. I, I, it, it the last two years, I'm telling you, the last two years they beat me up like a drum, and I deserved every beating I got. Uh, and I can tell you, I might not race two more years, four times a year, whatever. I'm going to always go to the original million dollar no matter what. Until I win it, I might be 80. If I'm still kicking, man, and I ain't won it, I'm still going to go back. But uh, I can honestly tell you that for the rest of the time, I don't care if I'm running, which I always thought you're going to laugh when I tell you, I always thought Gary Williams is probably the best racer ever just because – I don't know. I don't know what he does, to be honest with you. I've had some weird races with him, and I've come out good and bad. But uh, I'm I'm going to go back to – I'm going to always race basic 1985, 2021. And, and, and uh, I promise they're going to 
and from from now on, whenever they see me staged up, if I ain't got a rod hanging out of it, it it's going to be a battle. I don't care if it's somebody weak or strong, but I tell you, I did do one thing this year. I entered the Memphis Million and got one entry in the bottom and one entry in the top and decided I was going to go at it that way because obviously Nick Hastings probably the best bottom bowl bracer I've ever seen, but I think I got a couple – tactics i'm gonna play with him next time we run so uh i'm pretty excited for 2021 on that <laughs> but uh, uh i got a question i've got a question oh boy turning the tables all right. yeah i'm gonna turn the tables a little bit um honestly whenever it comes down to racing i think i've always said you as one of the best ones i've ever seen but um uh, my my always theory is you're you're a perfectionist, and I thought that was one of your your downfalls because you'll go one or two thou red every now and then. I always say that's get that's Troy Williams. Troy Williams is probably the baddest one I've ever seen on the tree, but if you can stay away from him until he red lights, he's he normally red lights two or three thousands, and that's just uh, he's my boy. He's always he's always believed in me, but. I've always said that that when it comes down to reading the air and actually putting a real good run down, whether it's 890, 990, or whatever, you was probably the best I've ever seen. And I had a question is, when you go to a different day, what did you always look at, number one, in the weather? Well, for me, it's I feel like I've got a – a really good handle on that on gasoline i've always struggled day to day on alcohol like i, I feel right. like there's a there's a really good argument to to run alcohol on your bracket cars and in a normal day like i mean you proved it to me probably 20 years ago like when you get that thing right all it does is go 611 or whatever right. the number was or, or 478 you know um but yeah. i feel like they're more unpredictable day to day and i never really felt like i got a good handle on alcohol from day to day or even you know on a long waits between runs on gasoline um i look at a combination of like da vapor pressure and barometer that i don't think is particularly unique to me i just have a bunch of data with like the combination that's in my wife's dragster now or my corvette like that's the motor we've been running for eight years so there's a there's an element to just that familiarity there right well it's kind of funny i bought my first uh weather station the other day and it was kind of funny. I called Altronics. <laughs> yeah, Altronics. I bought one the other day, and it was kind of funny. I'm no different than anybody else. I called, tried to get the best deal I could, and uh, I've seen one come across uh, online for sale. And I bought one, and I told my wife, I said, "This is one of the first ones I've ever bought to use." And I said, "I'm actually really gonna look." use it to try to get a little better i'm actually going to play around with nitrous a little bit uh, but <clears throat> having the racetrack at edgewater being able to test i ought to have my stuff really good when i do go out there uh but but um Let, let's go there for a wondered, second scotty what what is your uh what is your position and affiliation with edgewater for 2021 I, i'm going to be the race director uh my deal is to make sure we put some good races on. 
keep keep everything efficient. And uh, it's the perfect job for me. When I had the racetrack, I loved working at the back of the staging lanes, and I love um, I love interaction with your customers. And, and this deal right here, certain racetracks have a um, you know they have a reputation of not enjoying you coming in the gate, or they think you don't enjoy them coming in the gate, and our number one goal is is to make sure our racers at Edgewater want to come in the gate. We want them to come in the gate, give them a great race to race and a family atmosphere. And um, it's kind of funny. I bought a slot car track, and I've never been to one. I don't even know where you'd even buy a slot car. But I bought a track and um, a practice tree to wear when we're having rain outs or we get done early, we can go over there. I'm going to do a little bit of schooling as far as that goes at the racetrack. It's real easy when you're at the track. And uh, my uh, my deal is as a track manager or whatever race director you want to call it, my number one go is go to the bracket finals and win the track championship. I'm going to win. I, I feel sorry for the managers that we're going to race because I'm going to be the track manager <laughs> to beat them up. But, but – uh, we have a lot of good racers. We want, you know, these guys I've been talking to their father before he passed away about doing some races. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, my customer base was Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky, and that's now where the track I'm going to run. So right. uh, I'm pretty excited about that. But And then I don't have to get beat up every weekend racing. Well, what will it mean for your own racing in 2021? I'm going to run uh, – the plan is to run – the million dollar race in Vegas, uh, the million dollar race in Memphis, uh, uh, the million dollar race in Martin, Michigan. I think it's Martin, right? And uh, I'm going to always, until I die, I'm always going to be at the original million, wherever it's at, and whoever's running it. Until I, and if I, if you ever see me win the million dollar race on a Saturday night or whatever night at the original million, you will see my last run as a competitive driver. And that's whether it's this year, next year, never. Uh, if I never win it, it'll leave it. It's pretty easy for me. Uh, I, I can race whenever I want, but I've said it so much and so many people, if I ever win the original million, I'll be done. But the one at Bristol, I can quit tomorrow and I'm content. That's one of the questions I had for you, Scotty, was of all your accomplishments, like was there any aspiration left? Obviously, that's the one. And you have been close on a number of occasions. Now you run it up to Stephen Hughes back probably 20 years ago. I know you've been to... Like the quarterfinals yeah, Jonathan Clay. a handful of times. That's right, yeah. Jonathan Clay, yeah. Rockingham, yeah. Jonathan Clay, the same year, I yep. run it up at Rockingham. And then I semied, uh, I've semied to Ricky Jones, which that yellow Camaro I have nightmares every time I see it. Uh, <laughs> but but no, honestly, I've, I've been close. The, the Obviously, probably the hardest one I've ever lost is whenever I got down to seven cars the other three or four years ago and got beat. That was a, that was a, a big one to swallow because the original million, no matter if it don't pay as much as everywhere else, that's where it started. 
And and no matter what, you know, we, as drivers, I was watching Earnhardt the other day. You know, Daytona was a big deal for him. Uh, winning Indies, all of us NHRA guys, we all want to win Indy. I, 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 I've been lucky there. And uh, I don't know. I just uh, – I want to win the original, but the the Bristol's good enough. I felt like I told Peter I kind of got gypped because I didn't get a hotel in Vegas or ride the limo <laughs> or do any of that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I want to go out whenever it's time to go out. I want to go out and make sure all the roads that I went down are good and uh, uh, just, you know, Say I was a competitive racer always, and uh, not the last couple of years, but but now I mean, it's a little different now. I'm mentally, I'm ready. I, I feel like I'm 30 again mentally. So I feel sorry for everybody that's coming up. And I guess it's a month to the million dollar in Vegas. That's crazy. I'm trying to figure out how to get a two car trailer, just an open wheel trailer to take two cars out there, but. Uh, I'm going to make the trip there. I got the week off from my bosses at Edgewater. And, and I may not make no practice runs, but I've made 30 in my mind. You talked about kind of turning the corner in, in your mind competitively late last year, obviously evidenced at the at the Spring Fling Million. And you talk about the focus on the big events this year. Like that that win at the Million is obviously the, the crowning achievement, but you went on a tear there late in the season. We had that back to back to back basically three millions in four weeks you and um i think there was one other maybe nick folk nick yeah we're at the we're to the split in all three of them like that in itself is yeah. a monumental accomplishment much less to win the one um so obviously you gotta go into 2021 even with the limited schedule brimming with confidence oh you know i'm uh you know it's you gotta be competitive you gotta cook you got to just uh, have everything ready. And mentally, it's probably the number one biggest thing in, uh, for the first time in a long time. I'm mentally uh, ready to race again. Uh, I'm pretty excited. Uh, we, I mean, uh, I for the first time, I feel like I'm as good as anybody when we go back to the racetrack. And it's been a while since I really, you know, there's a lot of people that say that they really don't believe it mm -hmm. but i was actually would say it and wouldn't believe it the last couple of years but when i went to bristol was the first time in a long time i actually felt deep down i've done everything i could to be prepared to win again and you know i could have won three of the days at the other million at all the millions and won 30 grand but luckily i did the good the days of the million dollar race i mean it's just that's got a little bit of luck into it, but, but, um, yeah, uh, yeah, that was a good finish of the trip. The, I would have loved, uh, done a little better than a couple of the other ones, but getting to the split's a big deal. And that's one of my goals this year is to get to the split at the race in Michigan or the one in Memphis, because it's a little more money. Yeah than than the regular ones but uh i'd like to be staging for 400 to win that'd be really nice but, wouldn't it but i was really happy i couldn't have drove i couldn't have raced anybody any better 
other it, it, obviously if it would have been me or Ed, me and Edmund in the final would be a number one but the folks to be honest with you they're like family even though they're Yankees and we're <laughs> Southern boys no I, I love Nick we've done a lot of good things together a lot of bad things together but um, <laughs> we've uh, he done really good and uh, I was happy for him and uh, I was happy to do good at a uh, Beyondo race because we had a Troy Williams bet Brian Hurm a hundred dollars that I'd eventually win one. So every time we went to every year he's bet I've obviously lost, and then finally for the first time I finally won. So I was more I think I was more excited about Troy getting a hundred dollars from Brian Hurm than I was winning the race itself. But uh, no, it's it, it's fun to be back. I feel like I'm back whatever that means. Uh, and and I think people are going to look at me a little different deep down, whether they want to say it or not. But uh, I'm not the same Scotty that I I was the last five years. You uh, you alluded earlier to the, the early days at, at Kennedale at Texas Raceway. Well, I, I lo- I'm actually going to steal your quote and use it for something. You said the, the little punk kid with the big afro. I like that. I don't know yeah. if it's from that time area, time era, or, or at any point over the course of your career. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had Edmund on, and, and he just he took me back in time and told some stories that were a whole lot of fun. Is there one um, entertaining story, so to speak? I, I don't. There, there's so many. I'm sure you could choose from. Is there anything that sticks out that you want to share from any any time period in your racing career that uh, j- might just be a fun story to tell? <laughs> I know you guys got into a lot of well, stuff. Yeah, we got into some stuff, but it, it's funny. I tell my kids, we're, we were traveling the other day to Edgewater, and my kids, I have a, I'm more laid back than I was with probably my older two kids, and their number one deal is, Dad, tell us a story. So their biggest story that they love to hear, and I've told it to them quite a few times, is, me and Edmund used to have a key to the racetrack at Kennedale. And one day we were going to pick up a car because it had rained out and we had a regular truck and a flatbed. So we opened the gate and Edmund was going to be funny and leave me at the gate. So when I run, I jumped on the side of the truck and uh, it was kind of funny. He was dating. Evil Sizer. That's how long ago it was. And what happened was when I jumped on the side of the truck, he didn't see that I was dragging on the side of the truck. And my top, my foot got caught up in the back tire of the truck. And it ripped me off the truck. And he ran over me with the trailer. And it was funny because being the way we was, and a daddy figure Edmund is and was back then and still is today when he jumped out he yelled at me like it was my fault and (laughs) he said get up and i couldn't get up for some reason my legs wouldn't they were numb for a little bit so he loaded me up on the front of the flatbed trailer and drove me over there and yelled at me the whole time but finally i got my legs back and uh we actually didn't go home for quite a while we went to his girlfriends at the time because I was kind of hurt, nicked up quite a bit, but 
my kids love to hear that story about getting run over by a trailer. They're young enough that they think, how did you survive? But luckily, it was just a flatbed. But both times the tires run over me, it lifted my, my body, like my chest off the ground because it run over my legs. And they love that story. So I told them, it, again, that story. So I would say that that would have to be one of the top stories at, at Kennedale. And, and, How and old were you at that they, time? Uh, I had to be. I was running the GTX, so I had to be 12 or 13. <laughs> and uh, it was Edmund's fault, even though he turned it around and said it was my fault. But uh, it's kind of funny that you can't explain what Kennedale was to racing in Texas. You know what I'm saying? No matter what they, we all want to say the, the Gosses, the, I mean, you could, everybody that was in the staging lanes was pretty good. And, uh, I, I wish we could go back just briefly. Uh, but because it was as competitive back then, but, Kennedale have to I would have to say was was a great well, it was a great stepping stone for a lot of us. I mean it groomed us as far as groomed us and we still race today similar to what we race at Kennedale. So I was I really hated seeing that closed down, but uh it is what it is. But yeah, so uh no, you know and I'm always careful about that, Scotty, like publicly, because I feel like we all tend to romanticize, you know, our, our youth or so to speak. But and it feels like I'm doing that when I kind of wax poetic about Canada and Texas Raceway. But it was it's, it's difficult to explain, but it was a special atmosphere. Obviously, it's it's how I and, and so many of us kind of fell in love with the sport. But the level of competition and the I don't know, it just, looking back on it now, it just seemed so much more innocent, too. You know what I mean? It's just, I, I guess, for oh. like a better term, it seemed more fun. Uh, it, it was, it, it was, it was funny because we all hated each other when we were racing, but at the end of the night, normally, whoever won would go to Pizza Inn and buy pizza for everybody. So, I mean, you know, I grew up, and it's kind of funny, we were talking about Pipkins the other day. And and they were like family to us. And think about it, 1980, what they would have looked at us. They would look, they looked at us like we were weird. And it, it's kind of funny. We were family. We didn't know there was any kind of difference of our appearance or any of that stuff. We loved each other no matter what. And still to today, we still feel the same. You know, I mean, as far as they're, it's kind of funny we were, we message back and forth now, but, uh, you know, I commented about Lynn Gleghorn the other day. They had a picture of him on the internet, and it was funny. He was one of the first ones that was – he took competitiveness to another level to me. I mean, he was serious, and uh, we didn't have the equipment that we have now, but I guarantee you we got everything we could out of it. I mean, the Hefflers, I mean, yeah, you could go on and on. And I know a lot of local places had really good racers. But I would say that we could have, Texas Raceway would have been one of the top fives, if not number one. So uh, I, that probably stands out to me as far as being an old guy 
I was lucky enough to be gone from Texas Raceway when you really took off. So uh, I was lucky on that side. I remember you. I was you, in the Tommy Phillips. I remember you coming, making a return trip, I think, to see family. And you had, I believe it's the, the Chevy 2 that the Bloomfields have now in Winnebago yeah, colors. And it, it was almost like an afterthought. You just rolled into Kennedale. And that was at a time when it, to win, like you went. 510 or faster probably in that time in a, in a dragster and here you are in a 640 chevy 2 roll in open trailer win both classes and it was just a reminder that like yeah that guy's still the best we've ever seen so. <laughs> I'm, uh, it, I'm, i'll never forget it because everybody that didn't know me the new kennedale people a lot of them knew me but they didn't know i can still remember right at the end of the night it started giving me a hard time cranking and larry croft brought a extension cord and i had a battery charger and i was pulling into the staging lanes i'll never i'm not a sentimental guy but i'll never forget stuff like that just because you know no matter what uh the hefflers the pauls the richardsons the brooms uh i mean you can go on and on and on we might not talk anymore because we're all different lives and stuff, but I would think that we could all sit down right now and it'd be like yesterday we were together. And, and uh, you know, it, it, I don't know. That's, that's what the sport's missing now is that part of it. I mean, it's too expensive. You have your, your people that stay your your Troy and Gary that can stay out all night and do whatever. And, and still race competitively and still be the best. But as far as the family side of it, they're clicks now. It's not everybody. It's just clicks. And, and, and it, it, I don't know. I miss that part of it. I didn't get to use it to my advantage when I was young because I was only there to race and win. But, uh, you know, I'm, I, me and Edmund, you know, one of us could go anytime being 50 and 57. Uh, but that's one of those things that I really look up to him because he kept me doing right and kept me racing. And he believed in me when nobody else did. So I don't take that for granted. Uh, he groomed me. I always say I took it to a different level just whenever I'm riveting. But he did groom me and he's made me who I am and uh as a racer and uh you know the next chapter start how old are you right now I'll be 40 this year yeah so I mean you're still you know it's funny 45 is a bad number your eyes start going away a little bit so you got to be careful on that you you're a lot better shape than we went the opposite way good shape young bad shape you went better shape as you're getting older so uh, uh, that is one good thing you got going for you I, this is day it's kind of funny this is day seven without a pop how's that going and I've started going yeah and I, I'm I've turned the corner my wife says 1500 calories or less a day that's just yeah so she's she's she says that She's not ready for I, – I tell her, just let me die. And she can get her a new husband and go on, younger <laughs> husband. And she says she's not ready for me to leave yet. So she told me the other day that I need to be around 1,500 calories a day, cut a bunch of junk out, 
and uh, this is day seven. Day seven. Scotty, as you so, uh, as you look back over you know all the the years and all the accomplishments of of your career, like I mean, from world championships to national event wins to million dollar race wins to countless big dollar bracket wins, foot break, bottom bulb, top bulb quarter mile eighth mile like you name it you've done it i'm just curious is there any I, I don't know if it's a win or an accomplishment or even just a memory that stands out in your mind as a as a as a notch above the rest uh i guess it would have to it's i, I would always have to revert to the moroso five day the five day quarter mile single entry they wouldn't let you double and normally that's i believe uh i believe that's when everybody that was that was really killer at those times they went to that race it was the most prestigious race there is or was uh you know it's it's even like really and truly anymore <clears throat> it meant a lot it didn't mean a lot at the time, but the super category, Nash, uh, the wins, chasing the world when you had Stennett and Driscoll and all those guys racing. Now it's most of the time you'll get somebody that'll go to a, the first couple of national events and they win. Then they'll go on and chase the points. Where we were set, we could go first round you know, three races in a row and we still were going. But, uh, I would have to say it'd have to be the, it'd have to be the five day. I, I think to me, quarter mile, five day, everybody that was anybody was racing there. I started doing that in 1988. And uh, that would have to be the, probably the most, the most, the, the biggest thing I ever look back on. And when I see some of the trophies that I have, that means the most just because uh, everybody was equal one car. Nobody has an excuse. Uh, I think me and Kenny Underwood are two of the guys that won the most races there. That kind of means something to me. Uh, but all in all, racing I've been racing since 1980, 1983. So, uh, being able to be competitive for 30, over 30 years, that's an accomplishment because some people do have one or two good years here and there, but to be able to be doing good over 30 years, you know, somebody has to sit back and go, man, he must have been pretty decent. I mean, because, you know, uh, I think you can get lucky and have three or four years that's good, but... But to sustain it, like what you say, I can't use those words because you know me, I'm an elementary kind of guy. But uh, to, to, to be competitive for so long, that probably is the most things that I'll hold on to the most just because <clears throat> it's rare. It is. And I don't say that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and even, even though there are some really good racers out there, just to be called one of the best ever, that means something to me when I know somebody's being sincere about it. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, I was lucky. I had probably the best ever teach me, and I got to 
ride alongside of him for thousands and thousands of miles. And I took some of his weaknesses and 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 learned from him. And still to this day, uh, when I won the race at Bristol, he was there. And uh, that's just one of those deals that you can't replace – there's there's been within five total that had the family relationship racing wise and the, uh, doing good as what me and Edmund have, and that's that would probably if I was gonna really tell you what I cherish the most about racing, that would probably be it. Just running with him to uh, to hear you look back on uh, what. You know, 35 plus years now of being quote unquote competitive that that might be the understatement of the of the century <laughs> yeah. the, uh, well, little little humility from from Scotty's well well it's just like me talking about Evan I was tearing up talking to you about him it's one of those that uh, you know people say people say priceless but in reality, the education that I got from him racing wise was priceless. Um, it's just like when they asked me about winning the million on my interview and I said, speechless. The deal is, is, you know, no matter what, when you've been on top, however long it was and to be knocked off, no matter what anybody says, it's very hard to take and not be bitter. <laughs> to a certain degree and be forgotten and my deal was I'm I'm not ready to be forgotten yet so I I feel like that I I took two weeks off to get back to the basics and and I still got a few left I, I, I really believe that when I say that and I mean it's comical when you say it like that but 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 no when you say the best thing that probably the most thing I ever cherished from racing. Uh, we take it for granted, but me and Edmund, you know, we probably, I don't know how many miles we did a year. Somebody was talking about a long trip the other day, and they went from Kentucky to Vegas or whatever, and I was thinking, man, we would go from Gainesville, Florida, Orlando, Florida, Phoenix, Arizona, or Pomona, California, and we had some really nice rigs back in the day. So, uh, but, but no, the, probably the time that I spent with him, honestly, we spent our whole life together. But on the road since 19, we started traveling 91, and we went all the way to really right at the end of 98 or 99 when we together all the time. That was an education that his kids don't even get. It's kind of funny. I got that education and I learned to me, what I learned the most from him is how to win a round that you're on a losing round. A lot of people, when you, when they leave the starting line, they're on a losing run, they lose. And if I was going to say that what I learned the most in drag racing the good ones leave on a losing run and win. And uh, that's uh, 
that's something I, I take pride in. I mean, it's easy to be double on dead on and win. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, and I, I mean, think that is what separates do. the good from the great is that ability to to kind of turn a loss into a win, right? It's the underrated thing because we tend to look at you know that that dominating performance, but the truth is like what separates the good from the great is getting away with that twenty or thirty and having a, a way to induce a mistake from your opponent to do it, right? Oh, oh, you know what? People don't understand it whenever. Whenever somebody leaves and they're 25 and the guy's double O and he goes five thou under and and the guy says, God, he got lucky right then. And in reality, his lucky part was he was 20-something that run, not that he won the round. He was 20-something on the tree. And uh, you'd be surprised how many people don't understand that. That's I, I, I believe that's – that's where we got to get better. Absolutely. Scotty, man, thank you so much for your time today. Congratulations, not only on your success in 2020, but on a, on a, just your entire body of work. It, it goes without saying it's, it's the most impressive thing most of us have ever seen behind the wheels. So again, congratulations, best of luck going forward. And, uh, and thank you for taking the time today. Yeah, anytime. And I'd like to look forward to doing another one someday. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises, that's BTE, here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, that's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or, or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing. Oh, great stuff there from one of, if not the best to ever strap a helmet. Scotty Richardson enjoyed that thoroughly. Once again, thanks to Scotty for coming on. I'm going to transition now and welcome on Ashley Thompson. You may be familiar with the voice. Uh, Ashley has made numerous appearances here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. In uh, this uh, discussion, we outline the 
premiere, the debut of the 2021 This Is Bracket Racing driver series uh, listen in for all of the details we're super excited to present this series to expand this series from its uh, from its humble beginnings a year ago this is truly a nationwide uh, continent-wide uh, series at this point that we are just so excited about it's all Ashley's brainchild and she's the one putting in all the work so I'm gonna let her tell you more about it you can learn more about this at this is bracketracing.com slash driver series here is me and Ashley Thompson. All right, I want to welcome back to the show Ashley Thompson. Our longtime listeners are f- no doubt familiar with Ashley. She took the reins on several episodes a year ago. She is the brainchild behind and the working force uh, that, that puts all of this together for the ThisIsBracketRacing.com driver series. Ashley, how are you? Good, how are you? Wonderful. Uh, we're here to... to I guess usher in a, a huge announcement that uh, that you pushed out earlier this week uh, in regards to the 2021 this is bracketracing.com driver series uh, it's expanding it's growing in in a variety of ways uh, give us the update yeah so like you said it is expanding a lot especially from last year Um, I caught Luke on a good day and he agreed to up the price uh, prizes to 10k per class. So that's $10,000 to the winner of uh, top bulb and the winner of the bottom bulb class. So I'm super excited. We're guaranteeing $20,000. I okayed this. Yes. Yep. You did. And the elite bonus too. So if you are a member of Elite, you get a bonus $2,500. Per class, right. So, so this could cost us twenty five grand. Okay, nice. Um, no, seriously, this is, uh, this is going to be awesome. This is a program that we put into place uh, on a very, very much a trial basis a year ago. Would we have six tracks involved in 2020? Um, and we've grown that. Uh, I think there are 17 committed now. We'll run through a list of those in just a minute. But the basis of the driver series actually is to allow grassroots bracket racing competitors to compete for a truly national championship. Again, with a, a huge purse in 2021, ten thousand dollars in each class, and allow racers to do so without leaving the friendly confines of their home facility. Yep, that is right. Um, I'm super excited. Like you said, we have uh, 17 tracks um, committed this year, um, and those tracks are Ardmore Dragway, Beach Bend Raceway Park, Big Country Raceway, Bremerton Raceway, Cedar Falls Motorsports Park, Immokalee Regional Raceway, Lebanon Valley Dragway, Luskville Dragway, Mid-Michigan Motorplex, Mocan Dragway, Muncie Dragway, National Trail Raceway, Numidia Dragway, South Georgia Motorsports Park, Summit Raceway Park, Virginia Motorsports Park, and Worldwide Technology Raceway. It's kind of a mouthful right there. You blew through those in in alphabetical order, but I'm just looking like, I mean, we are spanning not just the country, the, the continent. I mean, we're going from Canada to Texas, from Washington to Florida, from New York to, yeah, I mean, just, it is all over the place. This is, this is going to be awesome. I mean, uh, we've, we're literally giving grassroots bracket racers a chance to compete on a national stage against racers from all over the country for 
real prizes. Um, okay, so I know that the members or the the listeners here that participated at their home track last year are familiar with the series. We don't have any major changes in the way to to sign up or earn points. For those of you that are new, that this series, you just perked up because that was your home track that the series is coming to. Ash, uh, tell everybody how how it works, how to get signed up, and uh, and how to basically compete for these massive prizes. Yeah, so each of those tracks is going to select eight of their regularly scheduled events um, at which drivers can earn points uh, toward the driver series for. Um, And we will take your best six finishes among those eight events, um, you know, toward your points. And again, $10,000 to win each class. We've got, uh, we're actually in in negotiations now we're working to bring on some outside manufacturers some outside partners to add some massive prizes to this pool um, so that it's not just the national champion that's getting something our, our ultimate goal is to have track championship prizes perhaps a, a top 10 in points things like that we'll include more details on that as we go but as ashley had mentioned two categories nationwide essentially a, a top bulb class and a bottom bulb class. The, the actual classes per track will vary, obviously, geographi- uh, geographically. Um, but uh, we did this, like I said, last year on a, on a smaller scale. Listeners to the podcast are familiar with the, the stars of that series. Um, Ashley came on with Lane Savar, uh, who was our kind of runaway winner in the top bulb category last year from Bremerton Raceway in Washington, as well as Kip Poole, also a Bremerton racer who won our bottom bulb points fund. Those guys were ecstatic, and they won $3,500 and $2,500 respectively. Uh, those prizes are uh, are getting magnified pretty significantly. Yes, definitely. Yeah, they were really excited, um, especially both of them from Bremerton. Um, you know, really excited to defend their home track. I'm sure again this year. That's uh, another. I feel like uh, kudos to you, Ashley. Is the, of the facilities that were involved in the kind of beta program in 2020, they're all back on board. So if you raced at uh, Beach Bend Raceway Park or Bremerton or Mid Michigan National Trail Raceway, Muncie Dragway, earned those points a year ago. Mid Michigan is the one that I'm forgetting. Uh, all of those tracks are back. So if you participated in this series a year ago, obviously you want to participate again. And for all of the uh, the new tracks that you have added, if you can't tell, Ashley's been on the phone, hot and heavy, uh, making this happen and just the the reception you can talk speak more to this than i can not only from racers obviously excited about this program but from racetracks as well i mean this is a win for everybody yeah the track managers owners i've talked to they're super excited for this to be at their track um super excited to bring this be able to bring this to their racers um and so yeah all they're all very excited to be a part of this uh, once again, uh, $10,000 to the national champion in each class, $2,500 bonus for any national champion that is a current member of This Is Bracket Racing Elite. As we said, Lane Savar took advantage of that bonus a year ago. Um, hopefully, I, I would like to see, uh, this. I'm torn a little bit on this, but I would like to see an elite member 
pick my pocket once again and, uh, and, and take this money home. Ashley, uh, thank you in general for everything that you have done to put this together. Uh, you presented this idea to me a year ago and I thought, wow, this is awesome if somebody could actually put forth the time and energy that it would take to make it happen and you do it and knock it out of the park time after time after time. Uh, I I appreciate what you're doing, and I think, in general, like the the bracket racing community should be extremely appreciative of the work that you've put into this and the program that you're offering. Yeah, thank you. That that means a lot to me. I I love this program, and I want to help the grassroots grassroots racers, um, you know, put a little extra money in their pocket, um, or I guess some of Luke's money. <laughs> but um, yeah, you guys can all learn more and sign up at this is bracketracing.com slash driver series. Um, again, I'm super excited. And if you guys have any questions, you can always email me to Ashley at this is bracketracing.com. Absolutely. Sign up. There is a cost involved to uh, participate in the series. It's $50 per entry. You can enter, you can only enter once uh, per class, but you can enter both the top bulb and the bottom bulb classes, uh, assuming that you, you know, regularly compete in both of those. Ashley, you want to roll through the tracks one more time, I, just to get you tongue-tied and to, uh, to make sure that everybody heard them. The participant tracks in the 2021 uh, This is BracketRacing.com Driver Series are... Okay, so Ardmore Dragway in Ardmore, Oklahoma, Beach Bend Raceway Park in Bowling Green, Kentucky, Big Country Raceway in Abilene, Texas, Bremerton Raceway in Bremerton, Washington, Cedar Falls Motorsports Park in Cedar, Fa Cedar Falls, Iowa, uh, Immokalee Regional Raceway in Immokalee, Florida, Lebanon Valley Dragway in Lebanon, New York, Leskville Dragway in Leskville, um, Quebec City, I believe. Somewhere <laughs> um, in Canada, our friends yeah, up north. That, yeah, that's our Canada track. <laughs> Mid-Michigan Motorplex in Stanton, Michigan. Mocan Dragway in Ashbury, Missouri. Muncie Dragway in Muncie, Indiana. National Trail Raceway in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Numidia Dragway in Numidia, Pennsylvania. South Georgia Motorsports Park in Valdosta, Georgia. Summit Raceway Park in Norwalk, Ohio. Virginia Motorsport Park in Dinwiddie, Virginia. Hopefully I said that right. And Worldwide Technology Raceway in Madison, Illinois. Fantastic. Ashley, again, thank you so much for everything that you've put into this program. Thanks for coming on the show to tell us about it. And again, uh, if you're interested, if this is coming to a track near you, learn more, sign up at thisisbracketracing.com slash driver series. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. 
led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100-plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.